Happy holidays, everyone, and welcome to the mid-season finale, also called the sixth episode of Only Murderers in the Writer's Room. I'll be your host, Denny Pivach, and today we're going to be executing the execution of the CW original series, The Flash. Lasting nearly a decade, The Flash first premiered October 7, 2014. Quickly becoming the CW's peak, the show ropes in an approximate average of 2 million viewers per episode. But that's just on cable TV. As for streaming and pirating, one could not imagine how popular The Flash truly is. The show is probably the second longest running and most popular superhero series behind CW's Smallville and just after an infinite number of MCU shows. Starring Lee alumni Grant Gustin as the title character, Candace Patton as his love interest, Iris West, theater performer Carlos Valdez as the comic relief Cisco Ramon, Daniel Panabaker as the sweet and supportive confidant, Caitlin Snow, and a handful of other talented actors, The Flash has now strangely become a highly underrated and overlooked treasure. Now, I didn't begin watching the show until the second season started airing. What originally caught my attention was seeing actress Melise Zhao in an episode. I'd recently seen her in Nickelodeon's boy band original series, Big Time Rush. And I know, what can I say? I was obsessed with singing and dancing at the time, and the band somewhat inspired me. Anyways, as I skimmed through channels, I saw Melise dressed up in some strangely futuristic getup. I didn't know it at the time, but I would soon come to know her as the illustrious Linda Park a.k.a. supervillainous Dr. Light. Though I have been both an avid watcher and admirer of The Flash for years, I realized after its fifth season, it started to get a little underwhelming. I decided to act like the writers typically did for each and every, each and every season and utilize the time-traveling aspect of the show to reboot the franchise, a.k.a. the Arrowverse, completely. Prepare yourself as we execute this show's execution at the halfway mark of its sixth season. Spoilers to anyone who has yet to see, is in the midst of seeing, or could not care less about this popcorn flickish show. Also, viewer discretion is advised with an unofficial PG rating administered by yours truly, of course. Now, on to my theoretical mid-season premiere for the sixth season of The Flash, also considered episode 10. This episode would have been titled Barely Alive, a parody of the phrase barely alive and because the Flash's secret identity is forensic secret scientist Barry Allen. Taking place just after the show's annual crossover event, this one titled Crisis on Infinite Earths, the Flash has sacrificed himself for the greater good and his team is now trying to recuperate and move on. However, Nash Wells, played by Jellystone Ranger uh, himself, Tom Cavanaugh, uses the remaining power of Pariah he has left to turn himself into his doppelganger Sherlock Wells. With Sherlock, Team Flash is able to find Barry's doppelganger. Unfortunately, this Barry grew up a troublemaking and hateful orphan. Team Flash must help him become the Scarlet Speedster that Central City came to know and love before any past baddies return. The next episode revolves around Wally West, aka Kid Flash, played by Keenan Lonsdale, returning to Central City. He decides to transfer his Speed Force energy into Barry. However, Barry's hesitant to be given such power, fearing that he might become a living death trap. Unfortunately, he isn't wrong. The moment Wally transfers his power to Barry, Barry goes rampaging around the city. To make matters even worse, people start to believe a new evil speedster is wreaking havoc on Central City.
yet again and call it, nonetheless, the Red Death. The episode after that is a bottle episode only taking place within Central City's famous coffee shop, CC Jitters. Unfortunately, someone has contaminated the shop's coffee with nanobombs. Most of the customers have already or are about to consume them, and both are on the clock. Still learning about his skills, Bear must figure out a way to save the customers before everything goes up in smoke. Literally. The resolution of the episode sees Barry figuring out that all the bombs are connected to each other. All he has to do is stop one of them from exploding by utilizing his phasing ability and all the other customers can be saved. Similar to the fourth season's 15th episode titled Enter Flash Time, Barry uses his speed to buy himself some time by slowing it down. The bottle episode is also titled Phase 1, a parody of the MCU's organizational tool for, the, for their project, i.e. phases, and also reference to how Barry is able to save the customers. The episode after that continues right where the previous episode ended on a cliffhanger. Barry confronts the creator of the Nanoms, codenamed Trickster 2.0, who was played by Devin Gray in the earlier season of The Flash and will continue to be. Trickster explains to Barry that he isn't the only one who knows about the crisis on infinite Earths. Mind you, this half of the season is taking place on December, i.e. just a few days after Crisis. Barry is then confronted by a doppelganger of the winter-themed heister Captain Cold. This doppelganger co-named Chillblane, who was played by John Core in the recent season of The Flash, and will continue to be. He explains to Barry something similar that Trickster said. The ending to this episode has Barry stopping Chillblane from using a particle accelerator to turn Central City into a model-scale snow globe. The episode after shows the doppelganger of the villainous uh, vampire Crucifer, played by an all-new performer, actress Juliet Landau, known for her infamous role as Drusilla in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Crucifer has just arrived in Central City, but Josh the Breacher, once again played by my favorite movie uncle, Danny Trejo, is one step behind. Team Flash must team up, must team up with Josh to defeat Natalia Mittenot, aka Crucifer 2.0, before she turns Central City into a vampire's vacation home. The cliffhanger ending of this episode shows Barry looking at some red boots he found at Iron Heights intensely and remembering he saw them as a kid worn by the same man who shot his parents. The episode after that is titled Professor Zoom Returns and begins with Barry asking Cecile to analyze his mind, but Cecile, played by Danielle Nicolette, is hesitant to because of something that happened to her as a teen. Caitlin's twin, Frost, has an affair with Chillblain, but Caitlin doesn't know. Iris and her dad, Joe, played by Jesse L. Martin, are conflicted about Barry some more, and finally, Cisco and his girlfriend, Camilla, played by Victoria Park, are killed in a car crash caused by Zoom from Earth 2. Caitlin eventually discovers Frost has been wiping her memory with a metahuman drug, and Earth 2 Zoom is revealed to be Sherlock Wells, a.k.a. Eobarthon, a.k.a. Barry's arch-nemesis, Reverse Flash. Turns out, during Season 1, Thawne drained the life out of Harrison Wells from Earth-1, including his looks and also his DNA. Thawne knew if the time ever came for OG Wells to reappear after Crisis, no one would be the wiser to think twice about his resurrection, or Sherlock's for that matter. Not only that, but Thawne also acquired time-traveling powers from Crisis's displacement. The cliffhanger ending shows Cecile confronted by that multiversal protecting, but now weary-looking monitor, played by LaMonica Garrett, who tells her that Earth Prime's Barry is actually evil. After that, as Thon starts to form his second Legion of Doom, Team Flash starts to form something possibly greater. 
Junk, played by Brendan McKnight, believes that the combination of Frost's freezing powers and Allegra's heat-amplifying powers could create a pulse strong enough to distract Thons. As Team Flash prepare for battle, Barry's nowhere to be seen. Our next cliffhanger ending takes us to an abandoned warehouse, where we see Thawne and his new organization revealed to be members of another evil organization known only as the Black Hole. Unfortunately, due to Wally's exceptional training, Barry is able to absorb and kill Thawne before Thawne can devise an escape plan. Cecile then tries to warn the rest of Team Flash about her discovery. Unfortunately, it's too late. Since Barry already turned into Red Death, he begins running at Mach 20 around the world, slowly destroying it. Fortunately, the Monitor uses his last breath and sends Team Flash nine hours back through time. Now, although Season 6 halted production due to COVID, and no one was the wiser about the 19th episode of the season acting as its finale, I am making the next episode, i.e. the 19th titled Blurry Little Christmas, the sixth season's official finale. Beginning with Team Flash only having 9 hours to prevent Red Death from destroying the planet, they're stumped trying to figure out a solution. Fortunately, Jean Jones, aka Martian Manhunter, who would once again be played by David Harewood, has sensed something was wrong with the universe and travels to Central City to help Team Flash. Chunk believes that with Jean's mind-controlling abilities, he could show Evil Barry what Good Barry was like and all about. The ending is bittersweet, with John revealing to Evil Bear his last few moments with his mom, and Bear transferring his powers back to Wally. So, what did you think about my proposed sixth season? Did you like the idea of the show sticking to the original storyline? With Barry sacrificing himself during Crisis? Should someone else have become Red Death? Should there have been a totally new villain? Let me know through my Instagram at denny.pivach, that's D-E-N-I, a literal dot, P-I-V-A-C. After that, we go on to the official 7th season premiere. I guess, more specifically, technically, my theoretical, not official, of course. Titled, Forced Out. Several months after releasing all his negative energy, Barry is trying to make it up to Team Flash by doing as much good as he can to help out. However, he seems to be making situations worse. One in particular, he created three new forces. Please welcome the Still, Strength, and Sage Force. Since the forces require vessels to truly enhance their power, the Strength Force sets its symbolic eyes on one Dion Owens, who would once again be played by Christian Magby. Though Season 7 originally had Dion being the host and or vessel for the Still Force, I decided to switch the powers because of Dion's past as a football player. With the Strength Force by his side, technically inside of him, Dion decides to test out his newfound abilities. He first steals Argus's new gadget, Gauntlet. It's short for Glove of Technologically Leveraged Invertible Tachyons. Such a device could be used to seal something like, well, I don't know, the Flash's speed? The cliffhanger ending of that episode shows that after Flash locks up Dion in the pipeline, he's confronted by Alexa Rivera, who would once again be played by Sarah Garcia, the current host of the Sage Force, wearing another version of the Gauntlet. The next episode shows Alexa using Gauntlet to absorb Dion's power before she can cause anyone else any harm, Bashir, who would once again be played by Anessa's Murr, arrives. He is now the current host of the Steel Force. Bashir becomes fast enough to take Barry away. Unfortunately, he is still getting used to his newfound abilities, too, so he and Barry are trapped in an alternate timeline, or should I say flash time, aka frozen elsewhere. The episode after is a bottle episode titled Eggs and Awaken, a play on the common meal name Eggs and Bacon. 
In this story, Team Flash captures Alexa's alter ego, Azela, aka the Strength Force, which is aka a She-Hulk knockoff. Bashir interrogates her at her pipeline cell. It's also a clip show episode because Bashir tells Azela of all the wonderful things Team Flash have done the past few seasons while showing clips of those moments. Unfortunately, Azela disintegrates and Dion reappears. The cliffhanger ending for this episode shows Bashir, Dion, Alexa, and Bear comatose due to the Force's ever-increasing control over them. Somewhat continuing the style of the previous episode, the episode after, titled The Collected, begins with Barry, Alexa, Dion, and Bashir confronting their subconscious demons in a small place. Barry confronts his alter ego, Red Death, at CC Jitters. Alexa confronts hers, Azela, at a, uh, I'm, I haven't really decided on that yet, but maybe I'd say, uh, someplace close to home, maybe even actually her, uh, hometown, or maybe her even actual home. Dion confronts his, the bully, most likely at a high school, and Mashir confronts his, the bully, also maybe in high school. Fortunately, each help each other out, with Cisco and Frost creating a force field to sustain their outbursts of literal energy. They've accepted their new destinies and are ready to bring justice. Now, throughout the last two seasons, Black Hole has subtly been mentioned but never came into light until now. Barry discovers he didn't just create three new forces, but their alter egos too. Joseph Carver, leader of the Black Hole, who would once again be played by Eric Nenninger, hosts the Negative Sage Force. Multiplex, who would once again be played by Michael Smith, hosts the Negative Strength Force. Damian Dark, who would once again be played by Mc, uh, Neil McDonough, hosts the Negative Still Force. And Godspeed, who would once again be played by Karan Aboar, is the host of an all-new Negative Speed Force. With the forces of nurture against the forces of nature, this may be the greatest battle in history since 1962's King Kong vs. Godzilla. However, Damien absorbs the powers of all the other Black Hole members and becomes mega-dark. This would be a comedically dark episode, making fun of how dark DC's material has gotten. After that, the mid-season finale would be titled Absorbation, a play on the word observation, however implying the absorbing of powers. Though they lost most of their abilities, Team Flash decides to celebrate their victory of defeating the negative forces, as well as Black Hole as a whole. Pun intended. Some crucial plot points and or twists. 1. Since the Sage Force de-aged Dion, and with it gone now, Dion grows old rapidly and looks like something like the actor Shamar Moore, who could possibly be played by the actual actor himself. Number 2. Team Flash parties at a bar, only to be taken hostage by some low-life crooks. Unfortunately, Flash is currently without any powers and takes a bullet to save his fam. Number three, the gun and how the crook positioned it reminded Barry of the same man who killed his parents. That may be because it is. In the future, the man is given speed and becomes one of Flash's lesser-known enemies. Though they fought so few times, the crook decided to change time just this once. Number four, the crook does not accept such a quick defeat and instead gives Barry some speed to fight some more. However, Barry decides to use the speed and opportunity to create another flashpoint. Unfortunately, Time Masters arrive to arrest both speedsters. After that, we go into the mid-season premiere titled Time and Mon Frere. Barry's put on trial for yet again messing with the timeline with the Time Masters, guardians of the timeline, somehow existent, and the legends, i.e. a group of time-traveling renegades slash superheroes that Team Flash knows of. Unknowing of this occurrence, Barry's in, well, some deep, deep trouble, for lack of a better word. 
After being sentenced to death, Barry gets some help from an unbelievable ally, Eddie Thawne. Turns out, after Eddie sacrificed himself in season 1's finale, a Time Master met with him in limbo and went over his original timeline. Since he wasn't supposed to die, Eddie was given the role of Time Guard. Time Guards oversee events that shouldn't happen, but also the ones that could not happen. The episode after that is a title that I myself am proud to have concocted called Rummage Amongst Anachronisms. After escaping the Time Masters, Barry takes advantage of the new Flashpoint by changing some historical events for the better. However, an all-new Monitor arrives, but before he has enough time to convince Barry otherwise, Barry absorbs him and becomes someone else, something else. Meanwhile, Caitlin's having an affair with Dion and Chilblain, Frost and Cisco are the CEOs of Star Labs, Chunk and Allegra had a child, Cecile murdered Joe, and Ralph has been completely erased from the timeline. From now on, Season 8 would be an anthology season. Each episode would dive into a particular anachronism. In the next episode, Caitlin's having an affair with both Dion and Chilblain. Central City Police Department's own Detective Dion Owens, still played by Shamar Moore, if possible, is having trouble trying to wrap his head around the fact his girlfriend is sleeping with his arch-nemesis. However, Chilblain is also having trouble trying to wrap his head around the fact that his girlfriend is sleeping with his arch-nemesis too. The anthological episode after revolves around Frost and Cisco selling Star Labs after making millions. Frost shares some of her half with her sister to get her back on her feet, while Cisco shares his half with Chunk to start an all-new business. However, after Caitlin ruins her relationships and Chunk ruins Cisco's dreams with a black hole, Allegra is brought in to fix some loose ends. The cliffhanger ending for this episode shows all five compromise and use their resources to begin a rescue mission for Cecile, who Cisco believes hopped universes somehow. Apparently, Cecile and Joe went undercover to stop a metahuman mafia war. Unfortunately, things got too real too fast. Joe ended up working with one mafia who hated another mafia, which Cecile happened to work for. To prove her loyalty, Cecile was forced to murder Joe. However, the mafia found out she faked her own death and his own death as well, and Cecile has been on the run ever since. The cliffhanger ending for that episode shows Cecile traveling to the universe of the DC shows Titans and Doom Patrol. Team Flash eventually arrive in the Titan and or Doom Patrol's universe and bump into Donna Troy, aka Wonder Girl, played by Connor Leslie. This episode would have taken place before Titan Season 3, Episode 10, titled Troubled Water, but just after Season 3, Episode 9, titled Souls. Team Flash tells Donna about their situation but decides to help when Doom Patrol's own negative man falls from the sky, only for his bandages to be unwrapped and reveal Cecile. The episode after reveals that Team Flash has discovered their timelines not only change, but so have others. The multiverse's timeline is out of the ordinary. For example, the Doom Patrol and Titans are now sworn enemies. The DCEU characters are working on Earth-X, and Stargirl was raised by the galactic bounty hunter Lobo, who is also an enemy of Superman. This episode before, uh, the episode before the two-part season finale is titled The Wizard of Cause parody of the title Wizard of Oz, and also because of the reveal of who is truly behind the timeline anachronisms. It begins with Eddie Thawne revealed to actually be a younger version of Eobard Thawne, who is also revealed to be another version of Cobalt Blue, a villain from the comics. Eddie was messing with the multiverse's timeline because he wanted to have his happily ever after. It turns out that in the future, Iris and Barry grow distant. Iris makes love to a relative of Eddie's, gets pregnant, and abandons a child. Decades later, that child's descendant becomes Eobard Malcolm Thawne. 
Barry returns to help Team Flash as an all-new superhero. The episode after that is a two-parter finale titled His Fate of the World, and begins with Team Flash growing more power- powerless against Cobalt Blue and his army of Time Masters. Barry returns with a new suit and attitude, now posing as Dr. Fate. Barry fights off Cobalt Blue and absorbs his power, as well as the Time Masters. Dr. Fate then sacrifices himself and turns everything back to normal. Well, for season 6, that is. The cliffhanger cliffhanger ending of the finale shows a glitchy monster jump-scare the audience front and center. So what are your opinions of this new 7th season? may not have sounded as clean-cut as the original, but I hope you all might have enjoyed it more. Let me know your opinions through my Instagram at denny.pivach. That's spelled D-E-N-I, a literal dot, P-I-V-A-C. Again, I honestly would like to hear any feedback, because as much as I'm creating all new stories, you, the audience, help me to improve and create hopefully better ones. With that said, let us continue with the theoretical 8th season of The Flash. Season 8, Episode 1, is titled Plot the Difference, and begins with showing us how seemingly great everything in Central City has been, aka the majority of the 6th season, and the entire 7th season never happened, aka retconned. The Flash is still in action from now now, now on, uh, that was a mistake or blooper, sorry for that. The Flash is still in action, now with an old new suit paying homage to the one from CBS's 1990 Flash series. The world has utilized space within the Earth, i.e. the core, and created an all new utopia similar to Damien Dark's, except for the end result being less thematic. The Earth's core has also been utilized to stabilize dark matter from radiating elsewhere. The cliffhanger ending for this episode begins at night, and we see a man walking from his work to his home. The street he currently walks down is badly lit, and he believes to see another person. The glitchy monster from the seventh season's final finale cliffhanger jump scares the screen yet again. Season 8 episode 2 is titled The Lawnmower Plan and begins with Chunk and Barry analyzing a supposed crime scene when a security camera caught the incident between the man and the glitchy monster. Chunk believes it to be a new meta, but Barry believes it is something far more dangerous. When more uh, appeared to pop up, Barry is surprised to learn how much more capable they start to become, from short-circuiting electrical devices to making people disappear. Faster than the Flash himself, Barry believes this could be the work of something alien. Season 8, Episode 3 is titled, They Live Again, and sees Barry facing against enemies he believed were dead. From Captain Cold to General Wade Eiling, this could be Team Flash's greatest nightmare. Frost and Cecile decide to contact the Speed Force and inquire more about their new arrivals. However, when they are blocked by it, the two are put in a purgatory limbo and must utilize Oliver Queen, now known as the Spectre, played by Stephen Amell, as a guide. Cliffhanger ending shows Oliver explaining to Frost and Cecile that the reasons the so-called Time Beast, aka the glitchy monsters, are appearing is because the problem's creator lies much closer to home. Though it would not be revealed until this season's technical mid-season finale, Oliver was implying the events of the seventh season's finale. Also, since The Flash had originally only aired five episodes in 2021, I planned to work around that by splitting the 20-episode season into three arcs. The first arc consists of six episodes, with the original five airing between late November and early December. My theoretical sixth episode, which would have possibly aired the same time as the original, i.e. March 9, 2022, wraps up the arc I titled Timebyland, a parody of the comedic horror action flick Zombieland. 
With that said, my theoretical fourth episode to my theoretical eighth season would have been titled The Curious Case of Patty Spivet. It revolves around the turn of Barry's ex-girlfriend Patty Spivet, who would once again be played by the astounding Chantel von Santen, a character I truly admired, enjoyed, and would have wished to return for the eighth season. Though she did not, this episode shows two versions of her returning. One is actually a time beat, and the other is the true Patty Spivet, who left Barry for a job in Midway City which in the comics was home to the superhero couple Hawkman and Hawkgirl, and the superhero team Doom Patrol. The mid-season finale is titled What Lie Beneath, and continues where the fourth episode left off. Time B. Patty has transformed into an alternate version of the hideous-looking supervillain Bloodwork. She rampages through Central City's police department building until Barry turns into the Flash. She can sense the power that courses through Barry's blood and decides to attack him. Remembering his struggle with the original blood work, Barry uses her powers against her. Patty absorbs herself enough until she implodes. The cliffhanger ending reveals that the origins of the Time Bees, Team Flash, is surprised to discover it was not only their fault, but the aid of another metahuman too. As the famous title card flashes past the screen, we fade into a Victorian-era-esque reading room. As a fire burns high within its place, a short but stout red chair faces it. A man sits but we only see his grimace. However, his mouth moves and begins to speak. We recognize the voice, that of actor Robert Nepper, a.k.a. the supervillain Clock King. Clock King is revealed to be the true creator of the Time Bees, for what purpose has yet to be revealed in the episode after. The mid-season premiere is titled Return to Timey Land, and has Team Flash entering the aftermath of their heroic-ish battle during the seven-season finale. As each member parts ways, scoping the area, Chunk is crushed to discover that Allegra and him started a life together, and a family too. He gets angry enough that he regains his black hole creating powers within a, well, little tweak. Now, Chunk can expand his mouth big enough to organically create interdimensional black holes, meaning, thing, meaning anything that he sucks in will most likely will never get out. <laughs> The cliffhanger ending shows the rest of Team Flash being sucked into a black hole. The episode after starts off the second arc of the season, which I titled Escape from Time Land. As for the episode's title, it is called Rejuvenation. The majority of it is a clip show recounting events from the seventh season, a minority sees Barry discovering pieces of junk that Chunk absorbed years ago. Barry creates an escape pod big enough for all the members of Team Flash, but himself. Barry has to be the one to give them a speed and boost to shoot through the black hole. The cliffhanger ending shows Chunk vomiting the pod, but it somehow spontaneously miniaturized them. Season 8, episode 8, is titled Honey, I Shrunk Team Flash Again. A parody, of course, to Disney's 1989's overrated, yet simultaneously overlooked flick Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, but also referenced to season 4, episode 12's title Honey, I Shrunk Team Flash. As Chunk tries to vomit out the berry, Team Flash discovers the longer they remain in Time Beat Land, the shorter time they have of living. With the Clock King nowhere in sight, Team Flash could possibly meet their doom. Season 8, Episode 9 luckily proves wrong and discovers Clock King did not account for the return of Oliver Queen as the Spectre. The two duke it out in the episode titled King vs. Queen. The episode ends with Oliver defeating Clock King and being able to return Team Flash back home. The episode after shows Team Flash reflecting on what has happened and each member feeling distant from each other. 
Jung wishes to express to Allegra how much she loves her, but Allegra no longer feels safe alongside what used to be her best friend. Cecile and Joe reflect on their relationship too, with Cecile's oldest daughter, Joni Horton, who would once again be played by Riley Jade Berglund, returning and explaining her encounter with the newly resurrected top-secret se top evil organization, Hive. The cliffhanger ending for this episode shows Central City's night sky start to glitch, implying that the world is slowly turning into Timey Land. Season 8, Episode 11 is titled The Drooling of the Combs. A parody of the ti movie title The Silence of the Lambs, technically a prequel, we see how Clock King quote-unquote rejuvenated Hive and became its new leader. Season 8, Episode 12 ends the second arc of the 8th season, and it's titled Hatred is Very Enjoyable, a reference to a hypnotic message used by Hive members, as well as a hint to the first letters of each of the four words spelling out the organization itself. This one shows how Hive is dealing with the loss of Clock King. With him gone, the Royal Flush Gang, aka Clock King's descendants, take over the supposed family business. With the help of warlock Felix Faust, Hive becomes an army of superpowered soldiers. Team Flash must rely on the alliance of Gorilla City. The cliffhanger ending shows the Gorilla Warriors of Gorilla City and Team Flash charging up the army of Hive super soldiers until they literally become a freeze frame, officializing that Timey Land has taken control over the universe. Season 8, Episode 13, titled The Scarlet Header, begins the third and final arc of Season 8 called Identity Crisis. In this episode, time, once again, alters. What's different? One might be curious enough to ask. Well, Wally West has now donned the mantle of the Flash, the ones to be Justice League have become the Injustice Lords, and Team Flash is but a distant memory. The title Scarlet Header is both a reference to the Sherlock Holmes classic The Scarlet Letter, but also to the codename that was once The Flashes, aka The Scarlet Speedster. Unfortunately, the header is not so heroic. The cliffhanger ending of this episode shows Wally running fast enough to recreate the Big Bang. The next episode is titled Brothers in Harms, and we are introduced to a few more DC alum. Keanu Reeves' Constantine, who appeared in the 2005 film of the same name, and Michael Rosenbaum's Flash, who voiced the character on numerous occasions, most notably in the early 2000s Justice League animated series. The two explain to Wally what is truly going on, and the three work together to make ends meet. The episode after is titled Peace of Mind, and, see Mike and sees Michael Rosenbaum's Wally West taking Keenan Lonsdale's place as Earth Prime's Wally West. With OG Wally trying to figure a way out of his current limbo, Wally 2.0 must come to the realization that he was chosen by Constantine for a reason to carry on the mantle of the Accelerating Man. Yes, it is revealed the character briefly seen in Season 3, Episode 14 of The Flash, aka The Scarfed Man in Red, was actually Michael Rosenbaum's Wally West. Constantine has actually been the one stuck in limbo, but he was fortunately able to communicate with Wally 2.0 through the Speed Force's telekinetic energy. Though using Wally as both a vessel and messenger, the two have been both working together side by side to get each other out of their own HE double hockey sticks. Wally 2.0 switches places with LG Wally and even manages to help Constantine escape as well. The episode ends bittersweetly showing Wally 2.0 finally being able to relax and stop running. The last five episodes of the eighth season are titled Identity Crisis, a reference to one of DC's many comic book miniseries. Split into five parts, it begins with OG Wally and Constantine, arriving a few moments before Team Flash and the Gorillas fought against Hive. They quickly discover that Central City is slowly becoming Time Land. Fortunately, Constantine buys the squad some time by sacrificing himself. He materializes into literal energy, which weakens Time Land's effect. 
Wally then joins Team Flash and the Gorillas. They are all able to defeat the Super Soldiers, but before any celebrations commence, Wally warns everyone of Timeyland. Team Flash raid themselves, but are surprised when Timeyland's effect fades. They are even more surprised when they discover Timeyland has corporealized. It has become a literal organism, bearing a resemblance to that of the Clock King. It explains that it only wishes to make things whole, but when Team Flash refuses, they pay the price. Suddenly, each and every superhero's loved one is being punished, either injured, killed, or worse, no one is seemingly safe with the Clock Emperor at large. Ray Palmer, aka the shrinkable superhero Adam, played by Brendan Routh, returns to Central City with his wife, Nora Dark. Nora is manipulated by Clock, uh, Clock Emperor to join forces with it, and the two become an all-new version of the supervillain Eclipso, seen more recently in the second season of Stargirl. Though it may not seem like it, this five-parting finale-slash-crossover event does borrow aspects from the comic book series of the same name. An example, for instance, is that a main plot point in the miniseries is each superhero's loved one being distressed. Another is the turn of Ray's partner, though in the comics Ray's partner is Gene Loring, his partner does turn evil. Although it is under completely different circumstances, both partners eventually become Eclipso. The climax of the finale also has an all-new form Justice League, defeating the Clock Emperor by sending it to the same place where the Anti-Monitor was sent, the Microverse. Nora is back to normal, and everything else seems to be too. Unfortunately, the cliffhanger ending of the finale shows that when the breach of the Microverse was opened, Anti-Monitor managed to slip out and escape. Now, the JL's once greatest enemy is on the loose and ready to strike again. Season 9, Episode 1, titled Citizen, Revol Citizen, revolves around Barry contemplating the decision to reveal his true identity to the world. After years of mishaps, misfortunes, and whatnot, Team Flash's only way to regain the trust of their home city and possibly planet may be to expose themselves entirely. However, two new allies arrive to beg differently. It's Barry and Iris's future children, Nora and Bart West Allen. Nora, a.k.a. the speedster, heroine excess, and Bart, a.k.a. the speedster, hero impulse, have come from the future to warn Team Flash of their impending doom if they dare wish to reveal their true identities. Both characters would be played by the same actors who currently play them, i.e. Jessica Parker, Kennedy, and Jordan Fisher. Since The Flash is just behind CW's uh, Smallville for longest-running superhero show, I thought of paying an homage to that series by having the finale the final, sorry, 13 episodes be, one on, be only one-worded titles, like Smallville did. The title Citizen is both a reference to the name of Iris' workplace, but also Barry's contemplating or contemplation to become a regular citizen of Central City and not hide behind a mask anymore. Season 9, Episode 2 is titled Rogues and is a reference to the Flash-hating supervillain squad known only as the Rogues. This new group consists of leader Mirmaster, I would cast Alexis Denisov, from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, because I enjoyed whenever he voiced the character on numerous other occasions for DC's animated projects. No offense to actress Afret uh, Doors, Afret, Afret, I believe I'm saying this clearly, or if I'm not, I'm, I apologize, Afret, Afrat, Afret, I'm so sorry, Efra, Efrat, I'm gonna try, I think maybe Efrat, I'm not sure, I'm sorry for this, if the actress may be listening, Efrat Doors take on the character. She did play the uh, character Mirror Mistress, I believe, on season 6 of The Flash and a bit on the 7th season, season. But I found it pointless of the series to constantly gender swap villains. Uh, anyways, then there is second in command Captain Cold. 
idol cast, I would recast in a sense, C. Thomas Harwell from The Outsiders, because I believe he can provide a similar mannerism that actor Worth Miller did to the original role. Also, since Miller claimed he would not be returning to the role for quite some time, I thought a replacement would be refreshing. I still, I still love you, Mr. Miller, but, uh, you know, I don't want to pressure you. Then there's also Heatwave, uh, and I would cast Marsh Allman from Prison Break, since Dominic Purcell also explained he would not be returning to the role of Heatwave for quite some time. Also, that would be both a nice reference since Marshall played Dominic's character's son in the series Prison Break, because Dominic Purcell also starred in the series Prison Break as well. Then there's Lady Granite. I would cast Shauna Waldron from Warner Bros. 1994 Kitty Classic Little Giants. I felt both characters portray a sense of persistence, self-reliance, and empowerment in their own way. Golden Glider, however, would once again be played by Peyton List. Although I'm not quite sure if she would be interested to return to the role, I did enjoy her witty portrayal of the character. In Weatherwitch, who would also once again be played by Raina Hardesty, I also enjoy the witness of her character too. Anywho, the rogues are forming a plan to break into Star Labs and steal the time-traveling spheric machine that Eobard Thawne traveled in during Season 1. It is not revealed until the sixth episode that they are actually pawns of the Anti-Monitor. They are basically being used to create another crisis on infinite Earths. Season 9, Episode 3 is titled Omnipotent and continues where the previous episode left off. That is, whether which utilizing a tachyon-enhancing device to create a tsunami within Star Labs. The whole episode is basically an underwater adventure. Think of it like 1995's Waterworld meets 1999's Deep Blue Sea meets the final third of 1965's Thunderbolt. The ending has Sisko returning from his hiatus and creating a breach big enough for both Team Flash and the Rogues to escape through. Tied from their little adventure, they part ways. Unfortunately for Weatherwitch, the cliffhanging ending scene shows her encountering Anti-Monitor in a dark alley. Anti-Monitor hoists her up with a chokehold and then disintegrates her into ashes. To make matters even worse, Joe was witness to it. The fourth and fifth episode of the season are two-parters which end the first arc. This final season would also consist of three arcs, same as the previous ones. Since the actual ninth season of The Flash is expected to begin airing on February 8th, the season would take a hiatus for two weeks, after its first arc, and another two after its second. As for the title of the first arc, I uh, named it Orsis. The first, the fourth and fifth episode, sorry, apologies for my mispronunciation, the fourth and fifth episode are named Suspicion Part 1 and Suspicion Part 2. Though a bottle episode, it does play out like the movie Knives Out. Old Team Flash are lounging at Barry and Iris' apartment. They are trying to solve the mystery of Anti-Monitor, figure out his big plan, and eventually figure out a way to stop it. The cliffing ending has Michael Rosenbaum's Wally West crash into Barry and Iris' kitchen. He explains to them that the speed force has vanished. Season 9, Episode 6 is titled Operation, and sees Team Flash planning an operation to break out the legends from their current prison. Now, in the last, but also, seventh season of DC Legends, but, oh man, I can't believe I'm mispronouncing all of these. Now, in the last, but also, seventh season of DC's Legends of Tomorrow, the series, I mean, it ended on a cliffhanger with the Legends being arrested by a group of supposed time cops. I believe the show's writers trying to reintroduce the concept of the Time Masters, but since my seventh season already did that, I guess I'll try to link the original seventh season of Legends with my theoretical ninth season of Flash. With that said, the Time Masters are re-reintroduced and Team Flash is able to fight against them and break out the legends. This episode's title is Operation, a reference to Team Flash's operation of breaking them out. Season 9, Episode 7 is titled Vengeance and sees Team Flash and the legends helping out Batwoman and her squad. 
since Batwoman's show also ended on a cliffhanger with a strangely skinny figure walking around some wreckage. I decided to wrap that show's storyline too. Though many predicted the figure was the classic Batman villain Scarecrow, I thought it would be funnier if it were Nate's android clone. Nate, a member of the Legends, had previously sent his evil android clone back in time. I thought since few could withstand the force and power of time travel or, for, uh, or traveling forward in time, it could possibly do some serious damage. Ergo, the android's skin disintegrated and all that's left is metallic skeleton, like a Terminator. The android encounters the anti-monitor, and the anti-monitor uses its technology to create a mechanical life preserver. Since anti-monitor is technically living on literal borrowed time, he only has so much to spare. This episode's title, Vengeance, is attributing, is attributing reference to actor Kevin Conroy's famous quote portraying Batman. I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman. Uh, I love that quote. I'm so, I'm so sad about, um, I was so sad to hear about Kevin Conroy. Um, my condolences to, uh, his family and closest friends, um, he will be remembered fondly for all the childhoods that he soothed and all the imagination that he fueled. He was, um, he was amazing. He is amazing. And he is Batman. Oh, man. Anyways, Season 9, Episode 8 is titled Engage and revolves around Impulse and Excess working with the Legends to find a device that could be capable of destroying the Anti-Monitor. The only problem? It's underwater. Located within Atlantis, the soups must confront the troops, i.e. the Lantian soldiers. Season 9, Episode 9, is titled Resurrection, because Team Flash must do the impossibly horrid and resurrect both Reverse Flash and Clock Emperor. With Reverse Flash's connection to other forces and Clock Emperor's knowledge, the two are the only ones that could possibly come up with an alternative to prevent Anti-Monitor's destruction. And, with that episode, the second arc of the final season, a.k.a. Luke, ends. Season 9, episode 10, titled Engaged, brings the third and final arc, titled Terminus, because it is the beginning of the end, a.k.a. the Infinite Crisis, to an actual end. With the help of every other super-powered person, Anti-Monitor is trapped in a loop. He can only battle with the soups for as long as they please, similar to a concept used in Marvel's 2016 Doctor Strange, it's a uh, literal H.E. double hockey sticks. That movie was also pretty great. Not too bad. The sequel was okay, but both movies were pretty great. Season 9, episode 11 is titled Negative, because Barry finally decides to embrace his darker side once more and utilize the negative speeds force. Now with the combination of two forces, Barry is able to run fast enough and create a supersonic punch. With one spinal swing, he shatters anti-monitor in the Pandora box. Cliffhanging episode reveal the cliffhanging ending reveals that the past few seasons have all taken place in the year 2024, and Barry wakes up the day before he was originally supposed to disappear. Season nine, episode 12, the titled "Denial," reveals Barry is actually friends with Eobard Thawne and many other similarly-looking enemies of his. Life seems to be good for the majority of the episode. Unfortunately, the cliffhanging ending of that episode reveals that Eobard Thawne, who will once again be played by Matt Lester, is the same Thawne from the first season of The Flash. The series finale brings the whole series full circle, with Barry and Thawne fighting throughout the timeline and ending up back when Barry was just a child. Back to Barry's childhood home, aka the same night Reverse Flash killed his mother. However, Barry hesitates and decides to let Thawne kill his younger self. 
Though Bamboo's blood first, Thawne does not hesitate as much as Barry and vibrates his hand through Barry's chest, instantly killing him. Older Barry fades from existence, as does Eobard. Barry's spirit reunites with Oliver, now as a specter. The two embrace each other sweetly like brothers, and Barry says, Let's make it up. Let's mix it up, implying that the Flash is far from gone, and that this noble sacrifice was not just for nothing. The series' theme harmoniously wails, as the show comes to a close. So, what do you think about my theoretical 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth season of The Flash? Should a few villains have returned more frequently? Should Barry and Iris' children have been grandchildren like in the comics? Whatever comments, questions, or concerns you may have, please feel free to address them through my Instagram at denny.pivac, that's D-E-N-I, a literal dot, P-I-V-A-C. With all that said, that wraps up the half that wraps up the half of the first season of Only Murders in the Writer's Room. There's still more to come. Now, the trailer for the final season of The Flash released this past week, and I've got to say, I don't think the final season will disappoint, and also, I'm not ready for the show to end. It's been quite a journey for me. I've been through the bad, I've been through the good, I've been through the eh, but uh, that show has held a special place in my heart. Um, Gotta thank a lot of the cast and crew. Um, I also, especially uh, Mr. Brent Crowell and uh, Grant Gustin. Um, not many people know this, but uh, I think maybe even to this day, a f- f- four, not even four, man, five years ago, half a decade ago, I, uh, or not even half a decade ago, oh my god, six years ago. Oh man, I'm terrible at math. Holy crap, that was a long time ago. Anyways. Sometime in late 2016, I uh, sent a letter to Brent Colwell, the um, the stage uh, manager of um, studio manager. I think it was stage manager of the Flash, and uh, I went. I was gonna ask him, "Hey, could I uh, come visit the set? Because I would really like to work on episode of the Flash." And he said, "Oh, I'm sorry, Denny. Uh, though we would love our fans, though we love our fans so much, and we would love for you." to uh, experience such a wonderful joy and pleasure uh we can at this time but here's a little something um to keep uh, you going and uh for being such an avid uh, watcher of the series and um no crap <laughs> for lack of a better word he gave me a poster signed by grant gustin the flash himself and that that um that really, that really changed my life, and, and like I know, it's like it's really cheesy to say, but it really did because I, I think, I think that day, I thought to myself, yes, I was heard, I was um, accepted, I was noticed, and I was appreciated, and it's like to be a fan of such a series and to be known about it, and then years later, I uh, reunited with Daniel Panabaker because I saw it at a convention years ago, and then we reunited just I think a few months ago, literally just this past September, at DragonCon. And she noticed the poster, and she said, "How'd you get this sign?" I said, "Oh, I sent a fan letter to Brent Quola. And she's like, "Oh my God, you're you're Denny!" And she knew who I was, and I was like, "Oh my God, they know who I am!" Oh, oh well, I gotta send more before the flash ends. So uh, I'm hoping, I'm hoping these little connections can uh, go a long way. Uh, however, I will also say that, <laughs> similar to the myth of the Star Trek movies. Um, and then it's my opinion about the ninth season. Sorry, I'm getting a little too ahead of myself, or no, you know, driving away from the main point. The uh, odd number of seasons of The Flash always seemed to be the most disliked. Season three had audiences confused. Season five had audiences underwhelmed, me especially. 
season seven had audiences bamboozled and that if the nice seasons like those past three combined well honestly i don't think there's much to worry about here's to you flash cast and crew or said in my native language it's happy holidays everyone happy new year's i hope you stay safe stay warm and uh stay joyful ciao